are listening to the Story Embers podcast, a podcast dedicated to guiding and inspiring Christian storytellers to glorify God with excellent craftsmanship. I'm your host, Grace Livingston, and welcome to episode 15, Balancing Creativity and Orthodoxy as a Christian Storyteller, part two. I'm Grace Livingston. I'm Josiah DeGraff. I'm Hope Ann. And I'm Brandon Miller. And today we're continuing the discussion started last episode on balancing creativity with Christian orthodoxy. Basically, what are the limits when it comes to crafting new fantasy worlds or exploring unique themes? How can we seek to portray truth creatively yet remain grounded in Christian theology? Josiah Deus and Rolina shared their experiences wrestling with this question in part one earlier this month. And you can find the link to their conversation in this episode's description if you need to catch up. So Hope, how about we start with you first today? And then Brandon and Josiah, you guys can chime in. How have you experienced the tension between creativity and orthodoxy in your writing? The one aspect that I did experience this was when I came to put religion in my story, especially my fantasy, because for a while I didn't want to do it because it seemed irreverent to actually be making up a religion. And then I realized, but I need to have something that's the foundation for morality, the reason people are exists and all of that. And so it took me a little while to figure out how do I have religion then portraying it realistically, I'm portraying it reverently, and it's the truth. But at the same time, it's really fascinating to read, and it's part of the world. It's not just like, oh, by the way, here's here's your Christ figure, and... You need to just like believe and be saved, you know, but something that's actually part of the story itself. My main problem that I've experienced, especially writing sci-fi, is that a Christian worldview can be limiting to what you believe is possible in the scientific realm. For example, if God before time created time and has given us time as a foundation of our lives as a measurement of our mortality if we believe that christians will never find a way to immortality apart from jesus which the bible states pretty clearly then can you as a christian say that time travel could ever be possible i would argue that you can't and well if you can't write time travel stories as a christian that limits a lot of your options that's where i was for a long time until I made the startling discovery that fiction is not true. And that in fiction, if you bend reality that we have, you can shine light on what is actually true. For example, the movie Arrival uses not necessarily time travel, but Mm. time messing with of time in order to display a really powerful truth about the beauty of life and Mm -hmm. that the message that life even when it's painful and even when it's even when it ends even when life ends and people die life is still worth living and they use time travel in a fictional story to get across a very powerful real world truth and i think that's part of what helped me break out of my the shell I was creating for myself was that I can create science fiction about things that I believe will never exist. 
like time travel. You know, I don't believe we'll find intelligent life on other planets, but I can create fiction where those things happen in order to tell a truth that I believe in on this planet. Mm -hmm. So that was part of my struggle with the orthodoxy question and part of how I came to grips with it. Yeah, because I think not to immediately, you know, just jump back to, you know, the, the oversighted classics. But I think that's one of the, the things that Lewis does in his approach. Because if you really think about kind of the multiverse theory you'd need for Narnia to work, it's really hard to make <laughs> that work because it kind of suggests you have Christ died multiple times. And that's not exactly, you know, orthodox. <laughs> because of the fact that, you know, when you realize, oh, well, this is a story he's trying to make, you know, certain points, I, I think it becomes more easily, I, I think that there's value in, in, re, in realizing the separation between a story and the real world and the messages you're bringing across. One of the other kind of areas where I've kind of struggled with this tension between creativity and orthodoxy is in thinking through how characters grow and what characters believe and what sort of destination they choose to end up thematically. On the one hand, you know, when when I'm writing, you know, I'm wanting to weave my worldview into my storytelling, and that's influencing the characters' arcs. On the other hand, the decisions that the characters make may not necessarily lead them, you know, naturally to what I believe. And sometimes I also find that the story actually becomes a lot more interesting if their destination point isn't kind of the quote-unquote truth, but is something that I don't consider to be, you know, the, the real correct answer to this problem, but an answer that makes the story more interesting. For example, you know, I think of a film like The Dark Knight to be somewhat in this category with the decision that Batman makes at the end that he's going to, to lie to, to the public about, you know, claiming that he did all of these things. And, you know, eventually you get to kind of the sequel that kind of explores that. But if you didn't get the sequel, you know, it's a story where personally I don't agree with Batman's decision. I don't think it was the right decision. I don't think it would actually, you know, bring about what he suggests. But the story is undoubtedly a better, more interesting story because of the fact that he makes that decision because it's a decision that's natural to him. But I find that sometimes in my story it can be hard to, to navigate that when I'm wanting to kind of bring across the message. But the ending can be more profound if I not, you know, if the character's ending is more creative than orthodox. Have either of you experienced that kind of thing in your writing? I haven't really experimented with it all that much. I know in reading, it can be really cool to the stories where the main characters think the truth is wrong at the beginning, but it's portrayed in the sense that the readers think the truth is wrong at the beginning. And then as you go through the story, you're realizing, oh, wait, the main characters are realizing they're wrong. And the readers are realizing, oh, they've been wrong this whole time. And so they're kind of getting the truth, but from a completely different perspective as normal. Maybe a story like Fox, for example. Ooh, yes, that's a good one. I don't know that I've ever written a full-length piece where I left a main... I left a hero at the end where they didn't come around to the truth. And now that I say that, that makes me sound really stilted and, and boring as an author. But I do that very often in my short stories. 
Mm. When I write a short story, like I wrote a short story about a dad who took his family on vacation. And the whole short story is just like, he's just like satirically thinking back on his vacation and how everything went horribly wrong. And at the end of it, his kids are like, can we go again? And his wife comes upstairs and she's smiling and he's like, worst vacation ever. The point is that he doesn't get it. Mm. His family had a great time and he's just in his own head is the irony in the story. But because he doesn't figure it out himself, I think the reader kind of figuring it out makes it more powerful. But I've never tried to pull that off over a, a full length novel. That sounds exhausting. Yeah. I mean, I think part of the thing is I think that's I, I find the same way that I feel much more free to kind of be very creative when I write short stories than when I write novels. Because when you put, you know, hundreds and hundreds of hours into a single story, you really want that protagonist to get it at the end. Or <laughs> if you're only you know, spending, you know, 20 hours on a short story, it's, uh, all right, they, they may not get it, but that's there's, there's less of a time investment that you have into them. Well, when it comes to characters also, it's just... The readers can get it, even if the character doesn't. And sometimes it's more powerful for the reader when the character doesn't get it because they have got it. Hey, Peter Pan is a good one. That's a good example. It's also just a good book. But, like, by the end of Peter Pan, Peter Pan still has not learned that growing up is important and good. But the reader has, because the reader has seen the beauty and the wonder and the fun of childishness. And it's also seen the heartlessness and the selfishness and the ugliness of childishness. And so the reader understands that it is good in its time, but you should grow out of it like Wendy does. But Peter Pan never understands that. And the ending of Peter Pan is really powerful because of that, I think. Plus, I got to talk about Peter Pan for like two minutes. So my life is better now. You do seem like the kind of person who would like Peter Pan. I love Peter Pan. Anyways, I think your book's subtext is more or less what's more important. Not to say that you can just write whatever you want in the actual words and like have graphic sex or whatever. And then as long as the subtext is good, it's good. That's not what I'm saying. But you have more freedom, I think, to bend the rules, to leave characters in the wrong places and to to create more creative plots and story worlds as long as the subtext of your novel as long as the message of your novel remains within orthodox christianity you don't want to bring your readers into sin but you don't have to bring a reader into sin introducing them to an alien race you know an alien race can be a means to an end a means to a subtextual end, actually. That's a big word. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because I, I, I think, I think that the point you're, you're, you're rightly bring up is the fact that there's a difference. Is that there, there's ways to be very creative in kind of the surface level of the text, perhaps in ways that aren't completely orthodox, while still weaving that orthodoxy into the subtext, or in a way that readers will understand it and making that division there. That not every, you know, you don't need to in your story be making sure that the reader under, clearly understands the orthodox points behind everything. Not to say, you know, oh, well, let's go be completely unorthodox in everything that we're doing. But you, you don't need to handhold readers through the story. We'll be right back after this break. Stay tuned. Am I really called to be a writer? Is writing worth my time when most writers fail? How can I write when work, 
family, and other responsibilities fill my schedule. Can I attain excellence and stand above the crowd? Earlier this week, Story Embers released Cultivating a Mindset for Success, a free video course designed to answer these questions and help Christian storytellers re-examine their view of how to become a successful writer. Featuring interviews with authors Sarah Sundin and Jaquel Ferris, this free course takes you through a one-week challenge to boost your motivation and help you create an effective writing mindset. Visit storyembers.org mindset to learn more and get your free training today. Welcome back. I'm with SC staffers Josiah DeGraff, Hope Ann, and Brandon Miller, and we're discussing how to balance creativity with Christian orthodoxy. So guys, summing it all up, what are your top tips for any writer who's struggling to find a balance between creativity and orthodoxy in their writing? Your theme and your message is the most important part of your book. How you get there is also important, but I would say it is in some ways less critical. I think my advice would be, at least with writers I know, I see a lot of writers who their first question is, is it orthodox? And then it's, well, can, you know, can I be creative with it? And I, I think for, for a number of storytellers in the way that they explore themes, they explore characters, my recommendation would be to feel more freedom to be creative in your exploring it. You don't need, you know, it's fine for a story to be messy. And it's fine for there to be subtlety and a lack of clarity and for the, you know, your points of the story not to be crystal, you know, crystal clear. Now, there's certainly kind of you can certainly go too far on the other side of the spectrum and, you know, completely throw orthodoxy out the window in the pursuit of creativity. Um, but I, I find that in my own reading, I see, you know. I see a more emphasis toward orthodoxy than toward creativity. I think a number of storytellers would benefit from looking for more ways to be creative with how they deal with issues. For me, I would say going back to the root of what's the base, what's the foundation of everything. Like when I was creating religions, there was all kinds of cool stuff I would create, but at the very base, I would make sure I had this is the solid truth, you know, the truth of here's the creator, the truth of this is the basic truth of salvation is that, you know, you can't earn your own way. You have to be saved by someone else. And so I would go back to the beginning and figure out this is my base truth. And I'm going to make sure that kernel stays the truth. And then after that, I can create all the diff the different types of ceremonies or different types of symbolism and expand from there. But I always tr go back to the beginning, make sure that is solid and not going anywhere. Thanks for joining me, guys, and thanks, listeners, for tuning in. As always, you can learn more about each of the staffers on today's episode at storyumbers.org slash about. And special thanks to Taylor Clogston and Michael Stanton for their support on our Patreon. Have you ever wrestled with how to adhere to Christian orthodoxy within the parameters of fiction? What are your thoughts on how to do this? Let us know in the comments. Finally, join me again on September 7th for the next episode of the Story Embers podcast. So since I shared my immediate thoughts to this question last time, I'm going to let 
Hope or Brandon go first if they've struggled with it. I can go first. I just need two seconds to 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 compute my thoughts. Unless I Hope is like, I'm ready. I have notes. Yay! <laughs> she has notes. Dang. All right, Hope goes first. 